All right, let's go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 10 this evening. Matthew chapter number 10, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, and dealing tonight with, I think, a familiar uh, concept or a familiar uh, expression, a topic, if you will, and I've simply just entitled this tonight, The Twelve Disciples. Uh, the Twelve Disciples. Now, anytime we come to a list of names in Scripture, uh, oftentimes there is a tendency to uh, begin to actually think, well, this is really not that important. This is not really that vital. These are just a list of people's names. And it's often we think of, uh, especially in the Chronicles, we think of uh, the, the number of begats. Uh, the book of Matthew in particular is one of those gospels that uh, begins with just a list of names, but so important is that list. Uh, but as we come to this particular list of names, we are coming to the list of names uh, of the 12 apostles. Uh, sometimes in the introductory of a new chapter, especially with these names, uh, we're not going to see all that this calling of these 12 uh, disciples meant, uh, but certainly uh, this has to be counted as uh, one of the um, most significant events in the Lord Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. Uh, sometimes we are uh, tempted to overlook uh, just how important uh, this calling of these 12 disciples actually was. Uh, because not only in this chapter do we see the Lord calling these men, we see the Lord giving these men or equipping these men what they need to carry out what he's calling them to. And then we actually see the Lord Jesus Christ actually send them. Uh, so we see his call, we see his giving, and we see his sending. So it's very important that we study and to apply uh, these truths to our lives. Now remember last week when we finished chapter number 9, uh, this is immediately following the exhortation of the Lord who exhorted his disciples or his followers at that time to pray that God the Father would send out laborers uh, to bring in the harvest. And we looked at how the harvest was God's people. Uh, it was never intended to be the harvest of every single person who's ever lived, uh, but to bring in the harvest of God's people, those that the Lord had given to uh, Jesus. So almost immediately, we see chapter 10, uh, Jesus takes this action. Uh, immediately, he takes action to send laborers into the fields, uh, into the harvest. Uh, we see there in verse number one, it says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Oh, what we wouldn't give to have all kinds of sickness uh, healed, right? <laughs> Thinking of all the, all the sicknesses that are going on now, all the illnesses that are going around. Uh, but we see that uh, these disciples, uh, he, he called them. Uh, it's clear uh, that it was Jesus who called these 12 disciples uh, and that he gives them power. Uh, power specifically over unclean spirits, the power to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, we understand that a disciple, in the terminology of a disciple, can be used to uh, describe a follower or a student. Uh, now, these 12 that are being called are, of course, 
12 disciples, but they're going to be given the title of the 12 apostles. And there is a distinct difference between the apostles and the disciples from the standpoint of what he's calling them to do or what he's calling them to be. Uh, a disciple, uh, even in Jewish culture, uh, would uh, a student in one of the rabbinical schools was known as a disciple. So the word disciple was a very common word. It was even a common word uh, among the Jews. Uh, Jesus, of course, up to this point has had people who were following him. There were people who would have called themselves disciples who were in the school of Christ who, who were following him for the right reasons. They had seen the miracles. They had watched what he had done. And so he had more than 12 people that he could have said, uh, these are my disciples. But it's these 12 uh, that he calls, and it is significant that these 12, each one of them were called, and each one had a certain significance. Now, of course, uh, we're not going to cover all the significance of each one of them. I would say tonight we won't even get into necessarily the background of all these 12. Uh, this will be very much an introduction to these uh, individual uh, that were called. But notice that he calls them, and he calls them unto him. Uh, this was not some random call, uh, just to go come unto me somewhere. But he says, he said he called them unto him. He calls these 12 directly to him in order that he could, what we'll call, commission them. And he's commissioning them for something that is certainly extremely important. Uh, this is not like any other calling. He's going to change their status, if you will, from a disciple to an apostle. Now, we've got to keep that in mind because what he's going to grant to these apostles as far as abilities to cast out and to heal, we've got to keep that in proper context. A lot of people have made the false assumption that any disciple of Christ is going to be able to do what these apostles are going to be able to do. And we realize that's not the case. Uh, there are some today uh, who are still claiming that because they are quote-unquote disciples that they've been given the power to cast out demons. They've been given the powers to heal. They've been given the power to, uh, to do all these things that Jesus is specifically commissioning these 12 apostles for. And that's why context matters. And one of the many reasons why context matters. But he commissions them to this very important task. Now, again, we must keep in mind there's a huge difference and a distinct difference between any who claims to be a disciple and an apostle. Uh, we later know that apostleship was also going to be defined and based upon those who had actually seen Jesus Christ. <coughs> That's why the people, <coughs> the people today who claim to be apostles who've never seen him. But an apostle, by definition is one who is sent out by someone who is in authority. Somebody who is in power. Somebody who has the ability to delegate the authority to send somebody. So an apostle has to be sent by somebody who has the authority to send them. It can't just be somebody who says, I have authority. Uh, it has to be someone who actually possesses authority. So as a result, a person who says, I'm going to commission these 12, and in this case, Jesus himself, has to bear the same authority, and the, the authority that he has gives the authority to those he is sending. In other words, Jesus is giving them authority. Now, uh, in the translation I'm using here, it has the word power, uh, which also has authority uh, implied in it. So he gave them not only the power, but he gave them the authority to do this. 
Uh, So these apostles were going to have the authority to heal sickness, were going to have the authority to heal disease, and have the authority and power over unclean spirits. The one who has the authority is granted authority to those he's sending out. So these 12 are actually having power and authority. Now we realize that uh, from the apostle definition, we know that in first the first apostle who had this authority, had this power, was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, he, he himself had the power, was given the power, and had the authority. Uh, he was sent by the Father into the world to do the things in which he does. And so that's interesting that even in John 12, verse 49, uh, Jesus said this, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. Uh, later, when he's talking to his disciples at the last chapter of Matthew, Matthew 28, 18, he says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So the Lord himself is even speaking as one who has the authority, and now he's commissioning these 12, uh, which we're going to see tonight. So we see that these 12 apostles are men sent by Christ with his commissioned and delegated authority to carry the message and the miracles of the kingdom of Christ. Now, as we'll learn next week, he's going to give them specific instructions to go only to Israel at this point and to not go anywhere near the Gentiles. Now, again, that's going to matter because of context. But yet his specific commissioning is going to be to the Jews first. And so that's what we'll kind of deal with uh, next week. He's going to go to Israel first. And later, that's when we get to Matthew 28, he will later send them throughout the world. Uh, So now let's get into these specifics. First of all, uh, the obvious uh, first heading here is the calling of the 12. In order to be sent out, in order to be given authority, he had to call these 12. Uh, these persons uh, were not new. They were people that for some time uh, had, were, were called unto salvation, no doubt, uh, by the grace of God. They were already disciples. Uh, they were already followers. They were familiar with him. This was not a stranger calling, him unto, calling them unto himself. Uh, they were people who would have identified as, uh, yes, we are disciples. Uh, These men, no doubt, had experienced uh, being seated at his feet. They had received his words. They had heard of his doctrines. Uh, They had been familiar. They probably have even seen some miracles themselves. And so they've been uh, being prepared for this, but they have not yet officially been called, given power, given the authority, and ultimately sent. Uh, This is the perfect timing of God. Uh, This is God's perfect timing as to when these men were to be sent out. Uh, This is not Jesus one day getting up and saying, I think now's a good day. This is all by the the timing of God. And so now this time is certainly ready. Uh, So he ordains them as ministers of the word. Uh, He's put them into the apostleship. Again, as I've mentioned, a person cannot make themselves an apostle. Uh, we've, we've taught our church here for a long time that a person does not declare themselves to be an apostle. There are no apostles today. If a man comes in and says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's a liar. He's not an apostle. Uh, he, he can call himself a disciple. You and I can call ourselves disciples. I can't call myself an apostle. Uh, so uh, these were 
they were being given and commissioned to the office of apostleship. Now, the number 12 is interesting, and there are a lot of different thoughts on to why there were 12. Uh, there are uh, some who've alluded, and again, you could go through many commentaries and you could go through many uh, sermons uh, from past and some in the present, uh, who would say that the 12 was an illusion or an illustration of the 12 spies uh, that were sent by Moses into the land of Canaan. Uh, there are some who've suggested there were 12 uh, apostles because of the 12 stones in the breastplate that Aaron uh, wore. Uh, there's also some that make reference to the 12 fountains the Israelites found in the wilderness. Uh, there's references, some that say, to the 12 oxen uh, which uh, stood in Solomon's temple. Um, there are others that say this is the 12 gates in Ezekiel's temple. Uh, the 12 patriarchs, the 12 fathers, uh, others the 12 tribes. Uh, all of those uh, were typical. All of those were things that the number 12 was being uh, used here. Uh, I tend to, to lean to the, the fact that this is most likely a reference to uh, the 12 tribes of Israel uh, and their reconstitution or what would become under the uh, person and center on the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, so the 12 uh, does have some significance. Uh, they were going to be used... Uh, to be instruments. And folks, that's, uh, that's what we are even today as uh, believers in Christ. We are instruments. Uh, we are ambassadors. We are sent out with the gospel message, and that really falls upon all of us, not just ministers who stand up at a pulpit, uh, but all of us go and we speak uh, what we have heard. We speak uh, what we now know. Uh, they were to be instruments of spreading the gospel. Uh, at first, only to Israel, and then later to the rest of the world. Ultimately, we know that the apostles uh, would be used for what we see today as the planting of churches. And uh, we see the effects of the, the planting of these churches and the book of Acts. We see uh, how these men were used to put these churches uh, where they ultimately needed to be. Um, so uh, we see that uh, these things, uh, this authority they're being sent with, uh, they are coming forth with authority. Uh, oftentimes they, this, the apostleship would be confirmed by the miracles and the things that they could, could do. That would confirm we have authority to do and say these things. And that's uh, why they were given some of these powers. So we see, first of all, the calling of the twelve. The second heading is uh, simple, the authority of the twelve. The authority of the twelve. He gave them power. Notice the emphasis on he gave them power. Against, in specifics, unclean spirits to cast them out. Now, the words unclean spirits makes reference, and it has a kind of an all-encompassing idea of it means they had the authority or the power over all devils. Uh, it was very common with the Jew to refer to a demon or a devil as an unclean spirit. Now, remember, they're going to the Jews first, so the use of the words unclean spirit is not by coincidence. Uh, this is what the Jews would recognize, that, that you are being given power over unclean spirits. Uh, these devils or these unclean spirits uh, were by nature 
that which was responsible for the defiling of others. Uh, They were known to injure people. We'll see throughout the book of Matthew uh, that these unclean spirits, these demons, actually harmed the individuals in which they were entering into. And Jesus is saying that these 12, I I have given them authority, I've given them power to cast those unclean spirits out. And so this is great authority, and we see that it's actually coming uh, directly from the Lord himself. Uh, Now, these unclean spirits, uh, of course, would also encompass the presence of uh, and prevalence of uh, some of the sorcery that was going on in that day. And we read in the Old Testament about the idea of of the occult and uh, sorceries. Uh, These things were very, very common. But by being able to cast out these unclean spirits, uh, Jesus has in mind and has in part that this would establish, this again would further establish the doctrine in which they were preaching. That if they had the ability to cast out and had power and authority over these demons, if a person could do this, this would speak of such great authority and such great power. And so these disciples, these these apostles were given the authority and the power to cast out these unclean spirits. Not only to cast out these unclean spirits, but to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now, of course, uh, we read accounts of Jesus healing the sick. We read accounts of Jesus healing all manner of disease. It's, he was not limited by any certain type of disease. We've, we've witnessed how he, he uh, healed the woman who had the issue of blood, how he has raised uh, people from the dead. This is nothing uh, for him to do. But folks, it's significant that he's telling the apostles he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. This is significant, that he has given them the power and the authority to do so. Really, when we read certain expressions in Scripture, sometimes I don't think we, we fully think of just how full and strong these expressions really are. The authority and the power to cast out unclean spirits and to heal all manner of sickness. These are, uh, think about where would the limits of the illnesses, where would it stop? Think about our world today. Think about all of the illnesses and the sicknesses we see today. There's no limit as to what they could heal. Whether it was a man or whether it was a woman whether it was an adult, whether it was a child. Think about what all illnesses and all disease means. No matter what the cause of that illness was, no matter what the cause of that disease was, that would even infer if this was an incurable disease by by the modern medicine in the day or by the physicians of the day, they were going to have the authority and the power to do that. Human methods would fail, but their ability and authority would not fail. So this is very significant. But at the same time, they were to preach the gospel. In other words, this was not just a ministry of going out and healing every sick person you came in contact with. They were preaching the gospel first. 
Because what man needed more than the healing from an incurable disease or an incurable illness is the soul, the sinful soul of man needed a cure. That's one of the beauties of what the Lord is doing here with these apostles. They were given the power and the authority to heal the disease. And they were going in the power and the authority of the gospel to convert the soul. Remember, don't lose sight of the fact that the gospel was authoritative. Remember that the command to repent and believe the gospel is not an invitation. It's a command, repent and believe the gospel. And that's important. Repent and believe. These 12 disciples, now known as these 12 apostles, were given the ability and the authority and the power to do all of these things. It is quite remarkable. Now in verses 2 through 4, we, give, we, are, we are given the identification of these 12. It simply tells us, now the names of the 12, of, of the names of the 12 apostles are these. Now this is the first time these disciples are called apostles. Again, remember the definition. Disciples typically means a learner. Someone who is seated in the school who is learning these concepts these principles they've now been instructed and now they are being sent forth to preach publicly and now they are being identified as these apostles these apostles are also messengers they are persons that are being sent for the cause of the gospel and their names are given to us for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons I believe it is here, it confirms. There's a name associated with it. It wasn't as if these 12 disciples, these unnamed 12 people were called. We don't know who they are. There was just 12. Just take our word for it. This confirms the identity and it confirms the truth of what actually happened. And not only does it confirm, but it also serves as a reminder of that this is not something that was made up. This is a historical fact. This is what Jesus did. But it's also done for the sake of that individual, these 12 that are called, not for the honor of them, but it was used to be able to identify false apostles. Jesus declares these are the 12. These are the 12 so that false apostles could be detected. They're given a name. It's the reality and the truth of who they are. Now as you go down the line of these 12 and over the next few weeks as we re are reintroduced to each one of these, we'll talk more about these individuals. But notice <clears throat> the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter. Now, if you've been a believer for any length of time, Peter does not need an explanation. Everybody knows who Peter is. Most of us identify him as Simon. So when we see Simon in this context, we know it's Simon Peter. Now, we know there are other Simons in the Bible. So Simon Peter is used to identify this is the Peter or this is the Simon we're talking about. And we're familiar with him. And Andrew, his brother, we're familiar with him. Andrew is the one 
that led his own brother, Peter, to the Lord. Andrew is significant. And then we see, after Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus and Labius, whose surname is Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, within these 12 names, there are, of course, those we're more familiar with, and there are some that we don't read a lot about. There were 12, but not all 12 have a grand historical record where we say, I know everything they did. But Simon Peter seems to stand out. We don't hear a lot about Andrew going forward, but we do read about the account again of Andrew leading his own brother to the Lord. But going forward, Andrew is not a prominent apostle. But that doesn't mean he's not significant. Remember, the Bible doesn't give us every single event that ever took place in Bible history. So we can't say this is the full record of every event and every healing, every miracle, every cast out unclean spirit that the apostles ever did. But what do we see the result of? We see that the results of Jesus' calling and commissioning and then sending of these 12 apostles is what ultimately we'll look at the end of this tonight that turns the world upside down. Even though they all have different levels of significance. But we do recognize names. And of course, Simon is recognizable. These other names, Thomas, we understand Thomas is the one that even today in society, when you hear the expression, the world, the unsaved world even uses the phrase, don't be a doubting Thomas. And it comes directly from when after the resurrection, of course, Thomas questioned the very thing. And he said, I won't believe unless I can put my finger upon the, the, the spear, the place in your side and touch the imprints of your hands. But then we're introduced, who's mentioned last, Judas Iscariot. Now, these other 11 men were given information about their relative, maybe. Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, Philip Bartholomew, Matthew the publican, James the son, Labius whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite. But notice what it says about Judas. Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. In the calling, in the commissioning, in the sending, we are immediately, Judas is identified as the betrayer. Which makes this even more remarkable that throughout the entirety of Jesus' ministry, of course, he's fully aware that there's a betrayer amongst them. And yet, God saw fit to give us 12 apostles, 12 descriptions, but the description that's attached with Judas Iscariot has got to be not only the most profound, but also the one that carries with it such weight, especially when you consider what the apostles were being sent to do. Judas, the last of the 12, is called Iscariot. Now again, just like we mentioned the, the significance of the 12, what did the 12 specifically talk about? The 12 tribes, the 12 stones, and Aaron's breastplate, which one was? With Judas Iscariot, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, there's a notation of Iscariot. 
Uh, now, there's a lot of people, again, who've done a lot more studying about this. They've done a lot more research. They've done a lot more uh, investigation of this. Some think that he was called Iscariot because he, was, he belonged to the tribe of Issachar. There's, uh, there's others that uh, simply say that he took his name or that were given his name for some place that he belongs. But here's what I would look at and I would consider this is when you see Judas Iscariot, it distinguishes him very clearly as to who he was. It distinguishes him from Jude or Judas because there was a Judas who was a faithful apostle of Jesus Christ. But when I say Judas Iscariot, we often associate, yes, the one who betrayed him. So even if we don't know exactly why Iscariot is mentioned, it is clearly an identifier that he is the one. Again, as I mentioned, notice it says who also betrayed him. Betrayed who? Betrayed Christ. The very one who called these twelve unto himself is calling a betrayer to be an apostle. Now, folks, I told you things have significance. These twelve apostles were called unto him and gave, where they were given power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. It doesn't say in those first four verses that Judas was exempt from this power and this authority. So that means even Judas Iscariot had the authority and the power to go out and do what he was commissioned to do. Now, that opens up a whole world of thought processes. Why would Jesus give authority and power to one who would betray him. Well, remember, nothing in history has ever been done by chance. That God's purposes have always been at work. That God's plan are always being carried out. Now, we can also say the same thing about the word Iscariot, who also betrayed him, again, is used as a further distinction. The Holy Spirit's inspiration to the writer wanted us to be very, very clear. I want you to know that there's a Judas, a Judas Iscariot, who's the betrayer, who's not the faithful apostle. This is the man who betrayed. This name, of course, is a name that bears great reproach. We think about Judas Iscariot, we're thinking about that which is a reproach. It is a shameful thing. But we also understand that even within what should have been the purest calling of people. What should have been, what we would say by human standards, should have been perfect. If Jesus is calling 12 to himself, surely he's not going to call a devil amongst them. And yet that's exactly what he does. <clears throat> he calls one of those 12, Judas Iscariot, into this inner circle. Now, there's a lot of applications we could make with that. Judas had all the same ministry gifts. Judas had all the same power to perform miracles. Yet underneath it all, he's a vile, he's a devil. But from the foundation of the world, Judas was the one who would be the betrayer. It's not a, he didn't sneak in. Jesus didn't know. The other 11 didn't. There's never any point up to the point where his identity becomes revealed, where those 11 men were looking and saying, there's something peculiar, there's something odd about this man. 
That's how well he would have, quote-unquote, fit in with the other 11. But think about the significance of having the power and the authority to perform miracles. How many miracles, how many healings did Judas Iscariot actually perform that we don't know about? Because remember, just because it's not in here doesn't mean he didn't perform any. Just because we don't read, and Judas Iscariot cast out that unclean spirit that was in that child. But yet we see he had the same authority. He had the same power. And we see that these first disciples are sent forth as apostles. When God sends forth his apostles, he sends them with power. He sends them with authority. That is very similar to his own power. Now these men are not God. They're not deity. But they were given similar powers and authority that Jesus had. When Jesus would speak in those synagogues and, he would, and they, would make, they were astonished that he spoke with such authority, these men were going to speak with authority as well. <clears throat> That's why everywhere they go when they speak, they're going to rile people up. It's not the fact that this is Peter. What was riling the hearers up was that they were speaking with authority, the authority they had been given by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And yet, when we look at these men, we know a great deal about maybe half of them because they do appear frequently, but we don't know so much about the other half. Virtual unknowns in Bible history. We see them in other lists. We see their name appear occasionally, but you don't know a lot about them. You don't know a lot about their activities as these apostles. And yet, we, we are seated here today in a place, in a building that we call where a church meets. And as the result of the authority and the power in which Jesus sent out these men, we are living results of the 12 apostles. Now, we don't think about that a lot. We look at this and we say, that was such, that was such a long time ago. But do you realize that even today, we stand, and at least our church does, we stand on the same doctrine and the same authority in which those apostles were sent out by. We don't hold a, a new doctrine. We, we stand on Bible doctrine. When somebody says, well, you're one of those people that, one of those churches that believes in the doctrines of grace that was, came up by John Calvin. No, we're standing on the same authority and same doctrine that the apostles went out on. Now, we don't claim in our persons to be able to cast out unclean spirits. We don't claim to be able to heal all manner of sicknesses and disease because we're not apostles. But the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' doctrine is the very foundation upon which churches, true churches, stand upon. Jesus Christ, of course, is the foundation. He's the chief cornerstone. But this doctrine is what these apostles are going to be sent forth and what they are going to establish. If you and I were going to do this, <coughs> in our humanity, we would have thought it's going to take a lot more than 12 to turn the world upside down. But yet, these 12 are the ones that Jesus entrusts first, and he gives them authority to turn the world upside down. I want to just finish with a passage from the book of Acts. 
Acts 17. We'll read this and then we'll be finished and then we'll, we'll get more into this, the specifics of what the apostles were going to begin doing next week. But in Acts 17, we continue to see the effect of the calling and the giving and the sending of the Lord Jesus to the apostles. Look at Acts 17, verse 1. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not... They drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Notice it says that these apostles had turned the world upside down, and it says now they're here. So we see even an example of where Jesus' first command is going to be, go just to the Jews. But ultimately, the apostles are sent to the Gentiles and they turn the world upside down. Kind of a simple thought tonight, the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles, but very, very significant, especially now going forward through the rest of the book of Matthew. So I hope that this will help us as we move forward uh, in our study of this book. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer.